You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's the first day of September. It is Wednesday, it's grey, overcast, quite cool here in TW11. Lots, however, to kick in the pulse and to warm the blood, particularly in 10 days' time, yes, with the Irish Champions Weekend and the Kazoo St. Ledger Festival at Doncaster. With the former in mind, I'm speaking in a minute to Brian Kavanagh, Chief Executive of Horse Racing Ireland. He'll tell me about how many people might be allowed into the Leopardstown and the Curra on Champions Weekend after a positive announcement from the Irish government last night. I'll also be catching up with Brant Dunshay, Chief Regulatory Officer for the British Horse Racing Authority, to ask him the question that was posed on this podcast on Monday. Has there been a policy change? in British stewarding and back to the race course there are goodies much more immediate than Irish Champions Weekend and the Kazoo St Ledger because there's the Haydock Park Sprint Cup on Saturday but on Sunday this Sunday September the 5th there is a race in France that almost nobody is talking about that could yet be one of the races of the season because it is going to feature Baid unbeaten is he a hype horse or is he the real deal it's going to feature, most probably, according to Jim Bolger, to whom I have just spoken, Poetic Flair. He's leaning the way of this race, and it will feature Snow Lantern, according to Richard Hannon, on this podcast a few days ago. It is the Prix de Moulin at Longchamp. In a moment, I'll be asking why nobody's talking about it. I'll also be talking to William Haggis, the trainer of Baid. But first of all, it gives me huge pleasure. For the first time since June the 11th, I don't know what he's been doing. He's clearly been sitting on his backside doing not very much. Welcome Rishi Passad. Back to the pod, Rishi. It's a it's a delight to be back on the team sheet, Lucky. Um, it, it's it's always worrying when you get left out of the team uh, and other people come in and play starring roles, whether you get back in the side or not. Um, but thankfully, you've uh, you've seen fit to to welcome me back into the fold, and I'm very appreciative of it. Wimbledon, Open Golf, Olympics, brief holiday. He's back on the podcast, and, and Rishi, it struck me this weekend there is a hidden gem. Lurking. Nobody's talking about it. It could be one of the races of the season. It's the Prix de Moulin long shot. It's got Baid, the unbeaten. It's got Snow Lantern. And it's also got, Jim Bolger has told me this morning, probably poetic flair, but he'll make a final decision Thursday or Friday. It is an exciting race, without question. Uh, you and I have discussed uh, Baid uh, once or twice before. <laughs> um, I think a couple of people might have mentioned Baid in relation to uh, a horse that I, I loved, still love, uh, Zilzal and his progression. Um, and I was saying that it's about time for Baid to step into Group 1 company, and it really is. So at long last, here he is. He is an outstanding horse to, to look at, and, and the way he's gone about his business so far at a lower level so we are going to find out just how good Baid is in the Mulan because he could be faced against obviously uh, Poetic Flair fingers crossed that he gets the go ahead for the race and of course Snow Lantern proven group one horses so uh, if Baid is the real deal we will find out on, on Sunday in the Mulan I think he is I think he is the real deal he looks magnificent in what he's done so far he is uh, potentially uh, 
it's hard to say for, for certain, but he certainly gives me the impression he's one of the best best uh, horses that we've seen this season. Oh, and this is one of the this is one of the best Group One mile races of the year. Hiding in plain sight, <laughs> literally nobody's talking about it. Uh, this should be headline news. It should be headline. Do you remember, uh, was it Divine Proportions in Dubai? We locked horns in, in the Moulin years ago, um, and I remember it being being a real hype race. Uh, leading up to it, my, my Divine Proportions, Dubai, we might have been Whipper, I think. Um, this is this is similar. I remember that in terms of uh, in terms of quality, this is a, a cracking Group One race, regardless of the distance. It's just a brilliant Group One race, and, and the fact that you've got potentially two proven Group One three-year-olds in the race against the horse that many people argue might be the best three-year-old miler around. Uh, it, it 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 really does have all the ingredients for an absolute classic uh, on Sunday. Well, it's it's our job, and as I've said this to William Haggis many times before, it's our job to build up horses like Baid. It's his job to tell us what they're what they're really worth, and that's why William's with me now. Um, William, we talked an awful lot about him. Angus Gold said he's hyped himself. Would you agree? Well, he's, he's been pretty impressive in everything he's done uh, so far. And every step up in class he's had, he's taken with a plomp. So he's going for the ultimate step up in class on Sunday, all being well. Okay. If I'd said to you in April, Baid will be running in the Prix de Moulin in September, what would you have said? I said, yes, it was probably about the time when we made an entry for him in the King Edward VII stakes. So I'd have been surprised that he would be a miler at this stage of the season. So he wasn't showing sort of blinding speed early on. Well, he wasn't asked to. He was. A, he didn't do very well over the winter, and he was slow to come to hand in the spring. And he's a full brother to Hookham, and I presumed, as one would do before you start working and these entries come along, that you, you know, that he's going to stay. And if he won his first race over a mile or a mile and a quarter, a King Edward entry was a seemed the right way forward. Okay, so now he's in against the big boys. You've got to go for for a Group 1 race. And if, as Jim Bolger has indicated to me this morning, Poetic Flair is a likely runner, then you're going to have a pretty good idea of where you're at after this. Absolutely, absolutely. He's the best around. And if we take him on, on and we're both in good form on the day, it'll be interesting. What do you think Baid's most potent weapons are? Well, he, he, he's a strong traveller. Uh, we don't know how much you'll find off the bit yet because he hasn't really come off the bit uh, yet, but uh, he will do on Sunday. Um, he's got speed and I think he's got stamina too. I think he'll stay a mile a quarter, no problem. To what extent do you think experience of a, of a right-handed course like Goodwood is going to stand him in good stead for the Moolah? No difference. Uh, uh, he doesn't want a big field and a, a wide draw. Over a mile, Longshore's not very good, but uh, you know it's um, <clears throat> just needs a smooth run around, and then up the straights, plenty of room. There's no excuse, is there? And is he straightforward to deal with as a rule? Very. So uh, you know, we think he's very straightforward. Yeah, he's very straightforward to train so far. Anyway, um, do you think he's the best miler you've had? Um. Could be. It's not a. It's not a. Well, I haven't got much strength in any department, but it's not a department that I have a lot of strength in. So yes, he's 
there's every chance he, he will be. Uh, we had a very good horse shake hand then a while ago that nobody saw the best of called Eklan, who actually won the uh, Prix de Mola some years ago. So, uh, yeah, he's a pretty good horse, this. He looks a good horse on what he's achieved so far. William Haggis there, who runs Baid in this Sunday's Prix du Moulin de Longchamp, potentially against Poetic Flair, Snow Lantern, and maybe one or two from Bally Doyle as well. Let's talk about Irish Champions Weekend and finally the prospect of crowds returning to Irish racing. The Chief Executive of Horse Racing Ireland is Brian Kavanagh. He'll leave that post very shortly to take up his new role as Chief Executive of the Curra Racecourse. Uh, but I've been speaking to him and I began by asking him what the prospects were for a decent sized crowd at Leopardstown and the Curra. Yeah, good. Nick, uh, 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 better, better than it was this time yesterday, anyway. Uh, we, we had an announcement from our government last night. Uh, you know, long-term great news, to be honest with you, that the, the, from October 22nd, all restrictions will be lifted. Uh, and between now, for the next six weeks, uh, you know, uh, events will be allowed to have a significant increase in their capacity. Uh, you know, 50% of a, of, of, of a, a stadium's capacity um, uh, will be permitted if, if um, you know, for mixed crowds. In fact, it goes up to 75 if it was restricted to vaccinated only. There are still... Uh, conditions on that in terms of mask wearing and distancing uh, and we're still just teasing through the logistics of of indoor food and beverage which 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 I think will, will also be available too so over the course of the next uh, uh, 24 hours uh, Leperstown and, and the Curl will finalise their plans uh, for Champions Weekend but I'm, I'm pleased it'll be it'll be more than 500 anyway which has been the norm um for race meetings for the last number of weeks. I think it still will be a graduated return uh, to numbers just from a practical point of view and from a, 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 a services point of view. But I think, you know, we can expect a, a significant crowd at, at both days of the Champions Weekend. I mean, could you put a number on it, roughly, knowing the capacity of the two race courses as you do? I don't know off the top of my head how many people well, you can get uh, in. I, I, I think you're looking at something in the order of three, four thousand, five thousand, maybe, uh, uh, those sort of numbers. Um, you know, one has to be practical as well. Uh, and as I said, there are still significant restrictions uh, in this country applying to indoor food and beverage. So it's not like you just open up and it's it's it's, it's business as normal. Uh, I think the concern also is that you know people have a good experience, a good time, uh, but Nick, it's a long way from where we were. Uh, you know, which is which which is great, and and uh, even with the small number of people returning. Over the last few weeks, there's been a, there's been a atmosphere going back on the track, which has been so sadly wanting. Um, so I think uh, you know we've just all coming down the track as well as a, as a festival after Irish Champions Weekend. So it's great news for them as well uh, that uh, that we can still uh, uh, you know plan plan for bigger numbers. Uh, and Brian, we discuss it in this country, the possibility of deeper into the winter, there being vaccination passports to get into certain sporting events. Do you anticipate that being an issue as the winter progresses? Uh, I don't know. It, it, I mean, the, the, the announcement yesterday said that the intention was the vaccination passports, the requirements for vaccination passports will be, will, will be part of the restrictions that will be lifted in October uh, 22nd. So that's suggesting that you won't need a vaccination passport after October to get into a restaurant or to get into a... Uh, a, a bar here um so uh, you know you, you'd obviously prefer to have have, have have you know within within safer you know with safety at the forefront you prefer to have fewer restrictions so uh, it's, it's certainly something we look at and um you know we were prepared to look at it for this weekend and champions weekend if if a special case was to be made for 
for that meeting. But as it's transpired, uh, you know, it falls onto the more general uh, easing of restrictions that was announced last night. So, you know, the, the, it's been fascinating in some ways working through this process, the, 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 the systems that were put in place to keep racing going and keep it safe. You know, uh, you know, there's been a lot of good learnings out of that you know, in terms of admission methods and all that sort of stuff, which, which I think will apply going forward. And as you say, vaccination passports is one thing to consider, but it doesn't look like the government are going to insist on those at the moment. Brian Kavanagh there, the Chief Executive of Horse Racing Ireland. Positive news, and there's a, a serious race as well uh, on the cards between St Mark's Basilica and Tarnawa in the Irish Champion Stakes. I guess Poetic Flair could run there as well, given his, his record, if he runs well in the Moulin. But of the two big guns, Tarnawa and, and St Mark's Basilica as the market has them at the moment, Rishi, how would you see this playing out? I'm very excited, like a lot of people, about seeing Tanawa. Uh, and St. Mark's Basilica locking horns. Uh, there's been discussion about Tanawa and her ability at a mile and a quarter. I mean, obviously, she's won uh, a couple of very good races over a mile and a quarter, but her best form has come over slightly further. Um, I think she's got a lot of speed. I think she's got a good turn of foot, and I don't see the drop back in trip being a, a major issue. Um, and St. Mark's Basilica is still unexposed. We still don't quite know how good he is. He's been very good so far this season in the two wins in, in France. And then uh, at Sandown, where, of course, arguably Mishrif wasn't quite at his best, but he dismissed him quite comfortably. So it's still a very exciting race because we still don't know uh, what he's capable of when faced with a horse like Tanal, who's going to be a very good standard bearer. Um, poetic player, as you mentioned, he's still in there. He's interesting over a mile and a quarter. If I had to pick a horse right now, it'll be the the, the potential still of St. Mark's Basilica. You just, you, you hope that that turn of foot that he showed uh, so far in his three runs this year, and of course at the back end of last season, uh, is intact. And if it is, it might be too potent as the three-year-old getting weight from Tanawa. Well, let's talk about the big race this weekend that's run in the UK, and that's the Haydock Park Sprint Cup. We spoke to Starman's trainer, Ed Walker, on the podcast on Monday. Rishi, he is very much the horse that is going to monopolise the column inches. Do you see it in quite as simple terms as that? If I had to have a bet in the race, yes. If you were forcing me with all the money I had in the world, it would probably be Starman, uh, because I think he's the outstanding six furlong sprinter on on quick ground, yes. Um, but I think there are a couple of horses that might be worthy of a play each way, horses that I don't think we've seen the best of. It might be slightly reaching a little bit to suggest that uh, Chill Chill can win the Sprint Cup. But I feel that there's still a big run in her. She's always been a progressive filly, as we've seen through last year and the early part of this season. She's She's been in Group 1 company in her last two races, uh, in the July Cup at Newmarket and Nunthorpe. Arguably a little bit disappointing in the July Cup, but she wasn't beaten that far by Starman. She's only four lengths behind, and I don't think things quite worked out for her. Uh, a better run at York. Um, behind Winter Power, where I thought she got into the race quite nicely, but then was marooned over on the on the far rail. Um, and I think that she's 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 definitely better than those last two runs. And I just wonder if she might be the sort of horse that if they go really fast and she's in the right position to get a trail, uh, that she might pick up some pieces. But I do think Starman is the outstanding six for long sprinter. Yes, and I think he's the one to beat. I think I found one in the race at a big price. Go on. I liked uh, Emma Artiana, who, who like your selection, Chill Chill, ran well in the in the Nunthorpe Stakes, finishing mm-hmm. second. Uh, I don't think a return to six is going to be a problem. I think he's just an improved horse the last couple of uh, starts, confirming the promise he showed 
early in his career. He's just coming to himself. He's a big, powerful horse. Mm. He's really just beginning to physically fill his frame. And I thought a 41 earlier in the week was a ridiculous price. Uh, I think he's now more like 16. He might be able to get 20 in a place. But he's, uh, he's a horse I think will run, run a big race at a price. I'm not surprised by that at all. I, I, I was worried about um, uh, Emirati Anna when looking at the chill chill form because the couple of bits and pieces that that bring them in together, um, it, especially that run at uh, at York in the Nunthorpe, it was really impressive the way he finished off his race. And what you say about him in terms of his appearance suggests that it's only now that he's fulfilling the the potential of a horse of his size and scope. Yes, I I can definitely see that. Um, I, I was a bit, I was a bit put off by the fact that it was, it was six. I know that you're saying that he might be as good at six, but I, I thought the run at, at York suggested that I just let him go over five. That might be his thing, but maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe that six furlongs will, will be fine for him. That's Haydock on Saturday. Other news now, and on Monday, Tom Stanley and Lee Mottishead posed the question as to whether there had been an edict from above telling stewards that they had to be harsher in their interpretation of the interference rules. That's come off the back of a number of incidents which have caused some contention where horses who finished first past the post have been taken down and mainly placed second. The Chief Regulatory Officer for the British Horse Racing Authority is Brant Dunshay. Brant, has there been a policy change from the top? Morning, Nick. No, no there hasn't. Uh, the stewards uh, will always consider... Uh, an interference matter or a placing objection based on the circumstances of the individual case. There has been absolutely no policy shift or direction to stewards in recent months or at all over the past uh, you know, s- several years uh, in relation to how the stewards should deal with the matters. So in simple terms, they will look at each individual case on its individual set of circumstances and that panel of stewards will make a decision. Recently, there have been a number of cases where horses have been demoted from first place that have surprised seasoned watchers of horse racing and people who've been familiar with the rules for a number of years. So can you understand why I'm asking this question? And I'm particularly thinking about Goodwood at the weekend, Newbury a few weeks ago, two demotions at Foss last last week. It does seem to be more commonplace. I can absolutely understand how some people um, may interpret a set of circumstances differently. And the other thing we have to remember, Nick, is that we we at no time generally have the same three panel of three stewards sitting on a hearing on on a given day. That the panels change. We also have um, a, a, a stewards panel chair who is a volunteer on every panel and so the way these these panels work they're like a tribunal and uh, the majority view prevails uh, and from time to time there will always be a debate around whether or not a decision is the right one in the eyes of one individual as opposed to another. Okay it, with that in mind is it now not time that that all stewards' inquiries were looked at by a centralised panel of stewards who are, are looking at it from a, a base uh, in London, perhaps with one satellite operative at the race course to feed information to them. So you you rule out all inconsistency. Uh, I I don't know that we could guarantee ruling out uh, all perceptions of inconsistency, um, but the notion of centralised stewarding is something that uh, has been 
tried in other parts of the world. Um, I know most recently uh, South Africa have been trialling what they call a, a centralised stewarding function. Um, we, in fact, ourselves have been piloting different regulatory uh, models that uh, can look at how we can use remote technology to um, improve efficiencies in the way we do things. Um, I think uh, the notion of having one specific panel that sits just waiting to hear every um, patient's objection is, is something that would be very difficult to achieve. But uh, in all these things, we've, we've got to always look at technologies and, and see how they can support the work we do to improve things. Um, but I, I do emphasise that there will always be debate around decisions like this because everybody has a different perspective on what they see. Brad Dunshay there, Chief Regulatory Officer for the British Horse Racing Authority. First things first, I, I have no reason to doubt Brandt's remark that there'd be no change in policy, but there's definitely been a, a creep in the application of the of the rules, Rishi. Yes. Uh, obviously, following this uh, in, in the last few weeks, um, as we as we know, precedent seems to dictate uh, how rules are interpreted. And the recent precedent seems to have changed um, with a bit more uh, of a focused attempt to narrow down uh, how results are altered. So it seems to be at the moment, judging by the, the two results at Foslas, the one at Goodwood uh, recently, that interference and a narrow margin of victory is now seemingly more likely to see a result overturned than it was perhaps six months ago. That seems to be the impression, judging by the two results I said at, at Foslas and, and the one that you oversaw yourself uh, at Goodwood on the weekend. And that seems to be different to what we were experiencing certainly earlier in the year, because I think earlier in the year, I would have been confident that the results, say, at Goodwood on the weekend would not have been overturned. Now, when yourself and, and Steve Mellish, for example, are discussing it, you can't be adamant now that it won't be overturned uh, and that there is that uncertainty now that the people who are interpreting the rules are perhaps working to a different beat. Uh, while we're on the subject of regulation, you only have a few more days left if you want to join the consultation on the use of the whip. It's a BHA, British Horse Racing Authority, public consultation. It closes at midnight on Monday. On this podcast last week, Cornelius Lysett was exhorting you to get involved if you had a strong view. Chris Cook, the senior reporter from the Racing Post, has um, been talking to Colin Horde, the chairman of the Horse Race Betters Forum. They've suggested that they would like the rules to stay, broadly speaking, as they are, and have urged caution. Uh, Rishi, are you going to get involved? Have you had your say? If you did have your say, what would you say? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm definitely on the side of uh, not changing the whip rules. Uh, personally, I find it I find it somewhat unsavoury that the sport has to. Uh, I, I do understand. I do understand about perception. Of course, I understand about welfare, but it's not a, it's not an actual issue horses are not being hurt that's the, that's the fir that that to me should be at the at the core of anything that we decide upon anything that the sport decide upon it's the actual welfare whether horses are being punished whether horses are being hurt by what by what is taking place and, and, and are we assured that that is the case yes we are 
we know that horses are not being abused. Horses are not being punished. You know, they're not being physically hurt by what's happening. Um, so therefore, I'm, I'm slightly uh, perturbed that we are in the position that we were in. Um, I'm not entirely certain how we've ended up here. Um, but it, it's it's a worry that this is the situation. I mean, you you obviously uh, have dealt with it in far more detail than I have, but that that seems to be the, the, the major issue for me, and and why I wouldn't want too much to change uh, with regarding whip rules. The, the 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 hard part is when you see a jockey perhaps overusing the whip, and yes, that that in its in its essence suggests to me then that the, the jockey might be. Uh, losing control perhaps um, and that that needs to be brought to attention but I don't think if the horse is being hurt and the horse is being uh, in any way compromised that we we need to defend the sport more than we have to and that's where I, I sit in terms of, of my view on, on the whip and that's why I don't want things to change too much. Interesting story from Lee Mosshead in today's Racing Post a study as to whether more horses are now being exported from Britain to race abroad, horses at a, at a higher level. And counter to the prevailing wisdom, they're not. And I refer you back to episode 285 of this podcast where Alistair Donald, well-known agent, said, it's just you hear more about it now. He said, I'm not exporting any more horses to Hong Kong and Australia as I, as I was 10 years ago. Yeah, it's it's, it's a, it was a really interesting read by by Lee Mosseset, and and ultimately, as good as the read is, the the stark point of it were the facts and figures, and the facts and figures show that there's no increase in horses being exported uh, to other parts of the world from this country. And, and in fairness, as they point out in the article, there is only a limited number, uh, in any regard. Um, of a horses within a certain rating that are appealing to other markets. So it's not like we've got more horses to get uh, to be exported. No, it, uh, uh, and it was it was a good, a really good article highlighting the fact that the major issues ultimately remain. Uh, well, the major issue ultimately remains prize money, uh, and that's one that um, <laughs> needs more than uh, this podcast and Lee Motters' article to solve. Well, Rish, all you have to do now is return with a sparkling winner. Of course I do. Of course I do. I hope that I'm back with a winner and I'm going for Riches and Rubies uh, at Hamilton in the 620. Uh, you will remember her, her her dam, Nick Diamonds and Rubies. I think we, we might have been working together at Chester. Chester. Uh, when she won the the the, the Oaks trial, uh, and I actually fancied her for for the Oaks. Uh, she is she was a Group One winner ultimately, um, and this filly, which is a Ruby, stepped up in trip last time out. Won at Beverly. Yes, it was a maiden handicap, but she hasn't gone up much in the in the handicap. Three pounds, um, and I think she's still unexposed over middle distances. So riches and rubies. Rich, great to have you back. Hopefully, riches and rubies can bring riches to Rishi and the rest of you. We'll see you all again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.